Howdy, CEOs, and welcome to Pair Talks Run, a prosperous universe podcast aimed at delivering you a little bit of entertainment, some knowledge, and insight into the happenings of the prosperous universe. Universe. As always, I am your host, C Pair, and with me is my two compatriots, uh, Des and Lex, on the podcast today, and we got a fantastic episode. Uh, with us is our guest, Archeal. And Archeal, if I'm correct, you started during the Steam Wave, correct? Hey, everyone. Yeah, that's right. I started just after the Steam Wave. Awesome. 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 Well, it's super exciting to have you on the podcast. It's always great when we get a guest and we don't have to hear ourselves talk constantly all the time. <laughs> um, one quick uh, just kind of housekeeping bit here. Uh, for those that are not on our Discord, we did make an announcement and uh, it was it was kind of a, maybe a sudden announcement, but it's something that definitely we've been chatting for the past two weeks about. And it's just a really, really fantastic announcement, actually. And that is that we are moving our podcast, the Pair Talks podcast, to a monthly format. And large in part why that is, is because, as you guys are all probably aware, this game is a little bit slow, right? And we just feel that if we want kind of that quality over quantity to be kind of at the focus of our podcast, we want to be at like 10 times higher quality. So that is why we're moving to a monthly format. But the second reason, and actually it should be the first reason because it's the primary reason, is that um, I've been feeling this for probably since the beginning of this month and maybe even later than that. But I've just been really enjoying podcasting and just chatting about topics with my friends and just having a great time discussing things. And before this podcast, you know, I <laughs> I had to say, guys, we, we need to stop talking. We need to actually start doing this podcast. And it's just it just proves that, you know, we realized, Des, myself and Lex, that you know, we've gone from strangers talking about a random video game to actual friends that, you know, we've, we've shared personal, personal details with each other. That's it. You know, that's internet <laughs> friends right there. As soon as you share personal details with each other, you're internet friends instantly. It's all over at that point. It's all over at that point. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I am super excited and super proud to announce that we are starting a new gaming news podcast centered around the world of gaming. And it is titled The esoteric gaming podcast and so we have a brief brief teaser for you and it'll be the intro to our new podcast take a listen hey everyone and welcome to the esoteric gaming podcast it's a podcast about the news trends and tech that we as gamers love to dive into hosted by three guys that not only differ in background but age as well my name is Pear, and I am the youngest of the group, and I hail from the Great White North. Specializing in market research, I take our crew through the latest topics and discussions within the Gamerverse. With me is my two co-hosts, working with some of the largest companies in Silicon Valley, and is a grandfather of three, Lex brings up the latest trends and larger-than-life topics that keep the game journalists busy. And finally, a tech startup engineer within the Valley and four kids of his own, Dez takes us underneath the hood of what's going on in the world of tech. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the world of gaming. Awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that intro to the new podcast that we are starting. And yeah, like I said, once again, it's not because we're bored of this game or anything like that, but we feel that we can we can deliver a lot more higher quality podcasts for the Prosperous Universe community and continue to grow this fantastic game that we have all fallen in love with. 
So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast today. Um, today, the first topic that we're going to be discussing is actually our guest and discussing kind of uh, a topic that he brought to light. But before we do any of that, uh, I know we kind of just briefly mentioned it, but so Arkeel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So you started during the steam wave and tell us a little bit about where you're situated in the universe. What are you doing? Are you part of any corporations and things like that? Yeah, I started off on my own in Antares space. I was focusing mostly on uh, food production, ration production, that sort of thing. And I kind of got to that point where I was ready for my second base. And that's about when I joined uh, OOG, the Ooga Booga Corporation. And uh, they helped me out with, uh, you know, a loan here or there, uh, starting loan, got my second base running, got some cheap BFABs. And I've built up to uh, nine bases now and expanded both up, up the food processing tree to the less common consumables there, and then moved out to a couple other interesting niche products that have done really well for me. Oh, that's awesome. And so you're part of the Ooga Booga Corporation. I've actually dealt with them before. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it wasn't like, I, 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 I have no- I actually mentioned this story to him earlier. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. yeah did. We had a little, not a run-in, not a run-in or like, a, and I don't want to disparage anybody. That's not my intent here. It was just more kind of amusing, if anything else, that I was kind of like, you know, we were the new kids on the block, right? And and probably now it'd be a different conversation, obviously, maybe, maybe not actually. Um, but yeah, we were kind of told no by uh, Ooga Booga for going to a planet. And we were like, hey, can we, can we join you guys? And they're like, no. We're like, oh, okay. Thanks for the talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I can comment on that. I think that might be outside my uh, area of knowledge. But, well, uh, you say you can't comment on it. Just to give a, give the listeners some perspective, how big is the Ooga Booga Corporation? Like, I'm guessing it's fairly large, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I don't have a lot to judge off of, but I guess we're at, you know, 25 to 30 members is kind of where we're sitting at. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, it's kind of around our size to some, to some degree, I would say. It's it's around our size. Um, no, that's fantastic. And so, Archiel, tell us a little bit about now, what is your, I guess, maybe what is your one-year plan? Like, what is your kind of plan right now? And where do you see yourself in a year going to some degree? Oh, long-term plans. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, man, I think the next thing that I'll be moving into is uh, something I haven't identified yet. Uh I've I, I've kind of gotten into smelting, and I've been looking at the shipbuilding chain. Like I've kind of already established myself as a member in our corporation's chain. Uh, I think if I think if something else opened up that where the corp had a need for more, like plastics, uh, you know, PG or PSL, all that kind of stuff, uh, I could move in that direction. But uh, I'm not sure. It might be just widen. I am widening my food processor to, to two dedicated food processing planets. I have two dedicated farming agricultural planets. And, uh, you know, there there's a really compelling case out there for a uh, hydroponics-based planet somewhere, you know, because we're running out of fertile planets to put bases <laughs> on nearby. So build those HYFs somewhere and kind of focus uh on mushrooms is my uh there, there's my trade secret for you there is <laughs> the rations i make include mushrooms which are kind of an uncommon choice but uh 
I've done a lot of math and I've convinced myself that's uh, a good choice. So, um, and you know, it's funny because like, I actually am kind of dealing with this in my own corporation right now to some degree. Um, and, and not a bad thing. It's just kind of a result. It's just a result. It's, it's, it's like the tide. I can't really like, I can't stop the tide. It just kind of happens and I have to go with it. Um, but from the sounds of things, if I if I'm kind of picking up what you're throwing down, would you say that Uga Booga to some degree is a little bit, or at least do you feel that it's kind of decentralized to some degree? Like, are is there any goals that Uga Booga is going after right now? You know, I think it is pretty decentralized. Uh, how it works is shipbuilding has always been a goal for the corp. Um, that's come up in our internal surveys, and the way we handle that is we just kind of identify where additional bases are needed and people who want to do it will step up and do it. Yeah. And there's no, you know, if you end up selling a bunch of your stuff on the CX instead of shipbuilding, that's fine. There's not, it's, it's very, uh, very decentralized, you know, no one's setting hard prices for internal corp stuff. Um, it just kind of works like that. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it really is. Because like, I always thought and like my, you know, I come from Factorio, right? That, and if you've listened to any of the other podcast episodes, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. We're, we're half, uh, we're, this is actually a Factorio podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, I think all of us have come from Factorio. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like when in Factorio, you know, there's the spaghetti base, right? And everybody kind of, it's more of a meme than anything else. Nobody's going to like make fun of you for it. Like, because everybody's got started. I remember my first base was a spaghetti base, right? I was like, Spietty. Um, but over time it's like, you know, Lex, Lex and me had a similar concept with mega bases where it's like a it's a hexagonal sort of train base, right? Um, and, and it's funny when you get into these like massive, massive mega bases, um, why you built trains instead of bots or belts is because of CPU power. Like your RAM becomes overloaded, right? And so that's why you go with trains, because it's the less computational uh, heavy kind of endeavor. So no, it's fantastic. Archeal and you've given me kind of a, uh, it's, it's funny you brought up. So you're part of how many plants now? Nine, you said? Yeah, I've got nine bases. Yeah. So, so I'm talking to this guy the other day and you guys will all get a kick out of this. And you know, I don't, I, this guy's listening to the podcast. And I don't want you to disparage, but it's just funny. Um, you know, I was talking to this guy and he was talking about that, like, a million, a million dollars. We were talking about a loan, and it's like a million dollars is like a low number, right? And I mean, I'd say it's still fairly high, right? Like for most, like most mid gamers like ourselves, like I'd say it's yeah, a million dollars is still like, you know, it's funny because probably there's listening to this podcast uh, or new players listening to this podcast that are probably like a million bucks. Like I can barely do ten thousand dollars, right? And that's the thing about this game is like people talk about how slow it is, but like I'm at the state now where I'm like, if this game was any faster, I would lose my marbles. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, I really would be like, holy crap, right? Um, I'm kind of glad that this game is slow because I'm definitely dealing, I'm dealing with a lot, right? Um, and not a lot, like when I mean a lot, I mean in the game. I don't mean like podcasts, other things. I do mean that I got a lot of moving components going on right now. I got, I think I just opened up my fourth base and uh, I'm doing well. But th I think the big thing, what I'm saying here is, you know, I think there's perspective to be had, right? So you got Ooga Booga helping you out doing nine bases and people are like, whoa, nine bases, that's insane. And you've been, only been, you've been playing the game pretty much as long as I have, right? And now I'm on base four. You're like, well, what's the, so is Pear stupid or whatever? It's like, well, no, 
I haven't had anybody to help me out, right? A lot of the stuff that I've done has been on my own kind of fruition. And I think I could have I could have played maybe a little bit more aggressive, but that's not my intent, right? I definitely have played conservatively. I've kind of like made my moves accordingly to what the plans are and have waited. Not saying you're you have an Archeal, it's just I'm guessing Oogaboog has probably helped you out to some degree, correct? Yeah, well, and the other thing to note is that, oh, hey, you're looking at a million dollars. That's either one AML on a planet or it's like two whole agriculture planets. Yeah. So so it, it, it can be a lot or not a lot, depending on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, and that leads well, us... I, will pro- say, oh. I, I, I just planned a base out. I, I will say I just planned a base out that's going to cost me about two million. And it's a combination of things, um, but hydroponics are really expensive on top of the base requires some materials that are a little bit more expensive. So you can quickly get into uh, a $2 million loan is, is what you need to get a a base up. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No. And that kind of, excuse me, that kind of leads us into our first subject of the night here tonight. So uh, Archeo brought it to my attention, and it's something that definitely I'm very passionate about. So that's really why I wanted to bring it to the forefront here and discuss it with you guys. And that is about niche products on the market and how can we go about starting these markets up and strategies to mitigate sort of the, um, I forgot, I think it was uh, Gravy that brought it up, you know, that, or maybe it was Des, you know, that the air gets thin up there, right? And that definitely is the case um, because, I mean, it gets so thin so quickly. But the thing is those multipliers, like you said about mushrooms, right? I would say similar things. Like I was just having a chat with a new guy in my corporation uh, uh, today about going into DDT, right? And like, he doesn't understand yet how important DDT is, right? I'm like, it's super duper critical. Oh yeah, definitely a good choice. Yeah. And, 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 and my first niche product was MHL. Uh, metal hydride lights, which uh, our, our our podcast uh, friend here, Des, just bought yeah. uh, two hundred of them from me. So thanks for that. Friendship. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, with the air being thin up there, like when I was entering the uh, MHL market, there would be zero on zero up for offer, and not like a huge amount of requests. So I think if you open up the order book and look at it, it's like, like I don't, I'm maybe don't want to make these things, uh, is what you might find yourself saying. And I have been in situations like it's a terrible choice for a first or second base, because I, you know, I have five uh, welding plants going full time. They've only ever made MHL, and they've been doing it for a hundred days now. And there, there are months when I don't sell any of them. Yeah, well, speaking of bursty, we've we've spoken on this podcast about things being bursty before, and MHL is one of those. You have to be building the one building. I think it's like one building yes, that takes it. Only one. So, if you're if nobody's building that building, then nobody wants them. But then all of a sudden, you're going to build a base out. And you want a lot of them, hundreds. Well, you know, it's a you know, it's a stupid building that I was like, what the heck? Like, why is this a building? Was um the uh the cleaning room <laughs> it like oh. i don't know what it's i i know it's used for something and I, the thing is so i'm mapping out so last night i spent some time uh was last night yeah i think it was mapping out our fab production so we're talking about going in a massive way to a fab production like in big massive quantities right 
Yep. And I was looking at this thing being like, okay, cool beans. And then it was like, we are, so what we did was we built out what we called, and uh, I think it was KZ or uh, Ro, forgive me guys, I know you're probably listening to the podcast, but like, it was me, um, that built out this amazing mapping spreadsheet. And essentially it shows us how we recycle plants on, a, on, on, a, on each other. And it was like, okay, so this plant recycles to this plant, recycles to this. So like we can use a PLL for this, 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 a PP2 for this, 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 uh, you know, smelters for these things. And so it's like, it, we can, if we can ship the, ship these things to these various planets, like intricately, we can save a lot of base space, right? So we don't need to be like doubling up on each other. Now, that being said, it was kind of like, oh, nice. So it's like, pop, up, 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 all these things. But then it was like, one item needs the cleaning room. That's <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> like, why, why this one thing needs the cleaning room? And I was like, okay, well, we need to build one. Essentially, it was just like, okay, let's, let's get it sheet. done. What? Nanocarbon sheeting requires carbon and for I the clean I think that was it. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so it just is weird that you just need this one thing and it's very much. Now it's interesting because I actually, why this subject interests me so much is because I did kind of my initial before I even started nascent financial. And even before I started this podcast, maybe question mark. Um, one of my first kind of extracurricular ventures outside of the, uh, the corporation discord was the market makers discord. And it, and we talk about strategies, like the best strategies to mitigate this. And that I think was one of the best strategies, but I think as Lex has said intricately many times, you know, I stretched myself to, uh, I've, I've stretched myself thin enough, right? I do, I do this podcast. I do nascent financial. I do nascent mercantile. Um, I'm working on another podcast, uh, got a million other things apart from other life as well. Um, and so the thing is, as I started this market makers discord with the idea of kind of being sort of like a quest board of sorts, right? So I was like, okay, uh, you know, MHL, right? Okay. I need a dozen of, and governors were be, and that's actually was my first ever approach was I was like, okay, how are we going to mitigate this? Like, what's the thing? What's these niche things in this market? Because the big thing, and I think we've we've addressed this already, is that there is four economies, right? There is the fab economy, which like ties largely into the uh, ship economy. But then there's the consumables economy, and that doesn't really tie into anything. It's a very separate economy. Like you don't you don't use herbs to build ship components, right? Well, the consumables are needed, right? But you got those, you got that. Then you got the ship component thing, but then you got an industry on its own. That's like this very niche thing. And that is the governorship industry. If we didn't have people popping out these products for governors, our planet infrastructure would start falling apart. We, we'd start losing populations and the game would go back to like a stone age format where it's just pioneers and settlers. And so there needs to be pop people popping these things out constantly. Right. But the problem with that industry is it's so niche. Right. And so one of the things that I was like, okay, how are we going to start with this market maker discord? Like what's the first step to, to, to making this thing legitimate? And that was reaching out to the governors, talking to the governors and be like, okay, governor A, what do you need? Governor B, what do you need? And then making it known to players. Cause I think there's a lot of new players in this game that are very much, oh, this is a fun game, but they can't see themselves getting past tier one markets. Right. That's, you know, we're all bunched up together. And that's why the air gets so thin when you go so high up there is because it's very much like you have this scenario where it's like, okay, like 
I'd like to start making a profit. And he, there's these various starts that kind of give me that idea, but they can't figure. And it's not like, it's not because of like, it, like it's not because lack of trying, maybe, maybe it is. I don't know, but it's like some people just need their hands held right to some degree when we're talking about going past tier one markets, right? I think one of the things that's complicated when you go past tier one markets is it, the game fundamentally changes in tier one markets. You just put stuff up. It sells through pretty quickly. Uh, and then you put more up and it sells through pretty quickly with above that, you are going to have stock that it just is sitting there until somebody needs it. And I think that is, and I would say that's tier one markets and I, I'm including the BFAB and the, the consumables markets, the lower end consumable consumables markets in that. Above that, you need to be prepared to have just stuff sitting there. Yeah, until you, need you, you can't need you can't need that money right away. So you know, start with your drinking water planet, and then you know you got to be okay sitting on some of the stuff. But you know, the profits can be high enough to warrant it. Oh, hundred percent. Well, and there's governors that are going to be looking for that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of the governor stuff I know is made to order, <laughs> and that's kind of a you know, you've got that, you know, a governor will say, Hey, I need, you know, 600 FOD by, you know, next week. And that's something someone can just switch over to and turn out. There, there's some cases where that's not true. Like the pharma factory, like that's a building that you're going to build that's specialized using some occasionally specialized inputs that are kind of only making really niche stuff. Can I like not infra, not, not infirmary, but hospital stuff. Can I jump in on this? So you brought up something that is like, so there's this guy and I had a fantastic conversation with him today. Uh, so shout out to Tux. If you're listening to this podcast, which I know you do, because me and you had a fantastic conversation on our DMs today. Um, and it really was that idea. I, I can bring up, I, I won't bring up, I'm not going to say his DMs because they're private, obviously. But one of the topics that we were kind of discussing was the idea that it's like, you know, um, he was bringing, oh, and I'm not, okay, Lex, stop me, <laughs> I'm about to talk about inflation. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, we're all just guessing, I mean, that's, that's, that's no, guess. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. Lex, Lex twitches every time I'm about to talk about inflation. Um, no, so, uh, I did talk about inflation with him, but one of the actual topics that I kind of said was, um, and this is it, I, I'll quote myself here when I say this, well, and this is replying to Tux. Well, I've either indirectly or direct. Okay, actually, I'll I'll give it some context here, and that is the idea that he was he was concerned about EDCs, right? The EDCs are the infinite money printer, right? And that everybody goes after EDCs and prints money, right? And I was like, okay, hey, fair enough. You're not wrong. Everybody goes after EDCs and prints money, and this is what my response was was. Well, I've either indirectly or directly said it. There is a huge disconnect between the player base and the design of this game. This game is not single player. It is multiplayer. Anyone that doesn't join a clan or doesn't get involved in the community, I would argue is not playing the game. They are playing what I would consider to be a demo version of this game. And and then I kind of go further and say, this game in its purest form is multiplayer factorio. <laughs> and that's what I feel being in a corporation is like very much. It's kind of like you said, Archeol, it's like, you know, finding, finding players to, to do certain things. 
But the thing is, is the biggest problem I see why I'm jumping on what you said was you were talking about, you know, getting cash, right? Like raising, raising funds and stuff like that. But that only lasts so long, right? It, that's the classic problem with most looter shooters, right? It's like, you see that number go up, then what, right? It's like, all right, congratulations. Do you want like a puppy for, for getting this number up, right? It's like, and I think that was, it's funny because in, if you guys have ever played like Borderlands 2, right? Borderlands 2 handled this problem so well, right? They handled this problem so well. Uh, another game in particular that I think of that was a looter shooter that kind of handled it well, uh, well, yeah, like the, the division also kind of handled it well, but I mean, it's that idea that it's like, yeah, then after this point you need content, right? And the content after the tier one market, that's, I think is the tutorial of the game, right? Well, in larger part, that's what I wrote the tutorial series about was the tier one market, right? Um, but after the tutorial, it's like, you got to need, you need to do things, but the biggest issue here, and this is my, this is my thesis statement. This is my Ted talk. The, the thanks for coming to my Ted talk speech was this. So you get past the tier one market, then what? That's the disconnect, right? It's like, you don't know what to do after that. And that's why you quit the game. Cause you're just like, okay, I've become self-sufficient, right? That's why I actually, uh, it kind of gives me goose pimples whenever I see people talk about self-sufficiency. They're like, oh, I want to become self-sufficient. I'm just like, yikes, that is not a good, it's not that it's not a good move. It's just like, it's not what this game is designed to do. You're seeing this from such a single player aspect that well, I'm going to give a counter to that. Oh no. So, so so this week I had the joyous fun of needing four UTSs to upgrade and get another permit. And discovered to my absolute pleasure that there were none available on the market I was at. Now of course since then uh people have brought some in because Basically, there were orders to fill it. But for probably four to five days, I finally just had to basically buy the thing at, at Hortus, send a ship, just it, the most over, like, it's literally like sending a big giant freighter to come pick up, like, a, a package coming back. Total waste of fuel and time. <laughs> but it was just one of those things where it's like, even at that amount, what I'm trying to do is worth so much time and value. But the problem is, it's because when I needed it, when I needed this niche product, it wasn't there. And it wasn't like I could just call up a friend and go, can you give me four of these out of your extra stock? So I get the desire that people have to be independent and to not have to get in situations where your entire program is blocked by the lack of someone else. And that's where this niche product becomes such an issue. And, and, I, I think to me, that's one of the frustrations of the game for me is I, I should not have had to go to so much trouble to pick up four basic little items because it's needed for something and there's no market for it. Like that's just frustrating, but it happened. I hate to tell you that we got UTS <laughs> always available. <laughs> that's the thing. I just admit, no, no, I actually asked in my corpse. So, so this is the one problem with nascent mercantile and, and this is the only criticism I'll make about it is we're too newbie. And we just don't have the fully developed product line as a corporation. There wasn't anybody in our corporation that I knew. And it's one of those things that I'm still finding the people. I, frankly, I use this podcast to help this. It's like, who do I go and ask for X, Y, and Z? I'm, I have no doubt that somebody had it sitting on a base somewhere. 
not a, not a doubt in the world. But it's not sitting on the CX, and it's not like I've got you know particularly in the game. There's not like a comm channel I can easily go to and go. Everybody in the game, hear me. I need UTS. Like it's there, but it's, it's there. So there's some frustrations yeah. in that way. Yeah, honestly, a good place for that kind of stuff is the UFO uh, Discord and uh, Antares General, like the regional chat, because, you know, you're not sending out to everybody, but, uh, you know, the governors and the well-established players read that. So I did not know there was an Antares. This is one of the things is I'm on UFO, but I haven't figured out all the channels, so I need to work that out. This is this is something, very side conversation, but it it's a problem with niche, right? There are always answers to problems in this game if you know where to look. It's one of the most interesting things about this game. There's somebody who makes it, it's somewhere. Well, and but you know you that don't always know. Well, and that actually <clears throat> that actually goes to, you know, the point about that half of this game, or dare I say three quarters of this game, is not in the game. Right? Yeah. It's the freaking it's almost like it's almost like it's almost like um I don't know. Think of like those like old sci-fi books or maybe even like Star Wars where it's like you have this like city planet, right? This like massive city planet. And it's like a, just a planet filled to the brim with a huge city like Coruscant or something like that. And then it's like, and it's funny, like if you were to, if you were to settle there, it's like, okay, every it's, it's like everybody's producing tier ones, right? It's like, oh, that's nice. But it's not until you go into like the belly of the beast and down deep into the dark alleys, aka Discord, and start having like side conversations at the local bars that you actually find out that, Oh, I produce this product or this product. Like this podcast alone has opened up my eyes and my ears to, you know, kind of that, that and not, I'm not saying it's like CD or anything like that, but like it very much is that idea that there's like the city where everybody produces things like on top. And it's not until you get down and start having conversations with people that it's like, Oh, where the real action happens. Yeah. Right. The real action isn't on the CX. And I think that's what makes this game a lot of fun. You know, you're playing an MMO, you're playing a multiplayer game. It's you want to, as a designer, you want to lean into the interpersonal relationships. And, and I would say that that is an amazing part of this game, but the game designers didn't put in systems to make that doable. Their communication in system the game? is in the game. Now, players, so there's a whole wonderful topic we could have about emergent game players and a gameplay and how players overcome what the game designers don't give them but the communication method methods in this game are terrible players have had to create them themselves which is an opportunity but the problem is is that like i don't know if your new tutorials have it or not but there should there should be like a one-page sheet like we have it at work for stuff that's just institutional knowledge go to this document here and it'll give you the five steps that will get you to the places where you can find all the answers because ufo antares i didn't know that i know it now in five minutes i'll be part of it and from now on i'll go there whenever i need to it's just one of those it, it's always there and i'll say this but it's, it's always there it's just not always obvious and i think that's unfortunate for new players i think it's a terrible part it's part of the new player experience problem is that once you get into the game and figure out how things are going and you know who to communicate with, there's a lot of depth there. This game is deep at that level. Oh, 100%. Well, and to get to it requires learning some things you just might not know. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. No, 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 no. Sorry. My pardon. Um, right. If there was such a safe for prosperous universe, like for instance, like I'm starting up a planet, right? Or I, I'm a governor and I need to find this resource. 
and then it gives you a directory of all the people in the game that produce that resource. And you can go talk to these people, and these people have indicated that they're willing to sell to governors this resource that they have the capacity to build. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's what we do at a corp level with our spreadsheet, but it's just yep. within the corp, so you're just expanding that. Lex, can you make it happen? I mean, so no. I, I would say... <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> sorry <Dad. laughs> i will say i i've actually i've gone about this in in a roundabout way i need um farm outputs uh well not roundabout but anyway i need farm outputs in order to make rations and i farm some of them i just don't farm enough to produce the number of rations that i want to produce and there was no uh no nuts on the CX and there's a couple other ones that I could have used, but basically two of the three that I needed were not available on the CX. And so I just went up, I just went and put orders. Um, I looked for weeks and they weren't there. And then I put up orders and they sat there for a while. And then eventually um, they started, the orders started being filled and I just started buying up massive, all those, the, the orders that were being uh, sold on the CX, I just started buying all of them to signal that I wanted more. And so if I don't know who started filling those because <laughs> it didn't really matter, Sam. but I basically was <laughs> signaling to Antari space that, Hey, I want to buy these. And it, I was, I was posting orders at a higher than, than normal value. Can I ask, so that when they was were motivated. This? this was several weeks ago. Oh, I was like, if it was a few months ago, it could have been me because I definitely sold nuts on Antar's space. CX. I probably bought, I bought for a while. I was literally buying all of the nuts that were going up on the CX on Antar's yeah. space. And, and now and, there's more than I can buy. And that'll work for most, most commodities and most even like shit products. If you put yep. orders up for shit products, you will get them eventually. And you just have to wait. And you have to put it up at a price that makes it worth people's while to go do it. Well, and so I think you're... there could be something to be said that if there is a bot, if there's a bot designer out there, like a Discord bot designer, um, and I mean, I could probably do it myself. I have, a, I actually have a decent proficiency in JavaScript because um, I'm pretty sure that's how bots are built. I've never done it myself. I think that's how they're bot they're built. Um, but you know, taking JavaScript and and running running a thing where it's like you do like a slash command, so it's like slash nuts, for instance, right? Slash whatever, and then it gives you a, a directory, right? It gives you a directory of everybody that's willing to sell or people that are looking to buy, right? Nuts, right? So you could be a seller of nuts, right? You're like, oh, I I want to get into nuts. I want to sell these nuts, right? And that's why I, I, cause the big problem I have is the fact that you, I, I get like the, there's like this role play element to this game where it's like, you have these markets, right? You have Antares, Moria, uh, what have you not, but the game's not big enough to fulfill those markets, right? It, the game's not big enough. And it goes back to that original topic. We were having a few podcast episodes ago where it's like, they designed this game for a much bigger audience. And I, I get it. Like, if you're designing an MMO, like, yes, you should design it for a bigger audience, of course, right? Because then if it does become popular, that's the case. But I'd almost say it's like they need to start, like, walking before they can run, right? Where there's these four markets, right? 
But I'd say right now we need a centralized market, like this massive centralized market where you can do all this jazz. And, and this could solve this niche product problem that we're having. I, I guess if, if everything was on the CX, though, I, I think the game would be kind of boring because the only thing you do is just buy stuff off of lists. You know, so that's that's never been a problem in games that have centralized uh their players will build relationships for regular supply and regular price, right? So, okay, so I was in the oil and gas business in my in my youth. There are tons of ways in the oil and gas business to buy on what are their equivalent to CXs. You can go to uh, the NYMEX and buy whatever you want, contract standards, tons of spot that way. The vast majority of the physical supply when I was there was actually traded directly between individuals on long-term contracts for for stability. So you could have both. I don't think that's nearly the issue you think it is. I think that once players realize that they've got a regular supplier and a price that they can agree on, they will move off the CX and the CX becomes a place where you get spot prices and you get over people who have excess, put it there and people who need excess, buy it. And that's, that's a great, you can have both is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, that's fair. Well, but it does cause that problem, right, Lex? Where it's like then all of a sudden the CX becomes a ghost town, right, to some degree. But I, I, I think, I think one of the problems with this game is that. So going back to the uh, the the nut example, there are people. There's plenty of people who can produce the that uh, material that I need, but they don't know that I need it, and I don't. I can actually produce, I can use a lot of different inputs. That's just one of the ones that I used. And so there's this, it's not just about matchmaking um, between I need nuts and you, you can supply them and you want to supply them. It's kind of this negotiation of, well, I can do, uh, do what I'm trying to do about 10 different ways. And I'm making a judgment on which one I can source on the market and they're making a judgment on which ones they can sell on the market. And I, I mean, I think, I think that's intended. I think that's how it's supposed to work. And I think the main issue we have here is that higher up in the, the tier system, the volume just hasn't hit there enough yeah. for you to actually be able to do anything major on the CX. There's, there's too many different things to make too many intermediary steps too many specializations, which thins out the production of things. Now that creates opportunity. So I think overall, it's probably not as, I made it sound horrible, right? It's actually has some good elements to it, but it means that very quickly you get into, I'm making something very specific. And then intermediary projects, intermediary products in particular are really bad for CXs because it's one of those things where the only reason to make it is to use it. And so people will tend to put it in their own chains and they won't really be comfortable relying on it going to a CX that you need it as an intermediary product. You got, unless the CX is just filled with it, you're going to want to build that product yourself. And you're going to basically, you have a lot of incentives to put it in your chain. And so you end up some, just a lot of depth problems. Now that there are probably five other things going on. I would actually argue that I think we have maybe one too many CXs. I think three is actually about right because I think there is some nice things about having markets that differ across the map. And one CX would put, I mean, you can have the Eve, Eve had Jita and, you know, everybody went there and it was crazy. 
So I've seen, but there were also some secondary markets hiding in the corner. So you could do like a primary and then some more distant secondary markets and be okay. So I mean, there are models, but I just, I, I think a lot of the lack of tier just comes down to the way they've created a very complicated supply chain yeah, and, and not made it easy for players to get into those markets and supply those markets outside of a relatively small number of people. Well, and, and that's one of the things that, that I, I feel pretty strongly is that just because something isn't on the CX, because you don't, because you don't see supply and demand, you know, people freak out and say that, oh man, this is a problem with the game. But I, you know, I think that's okay. I think that's good in a lot of cases, especially for those intermediaries that you were mentioning, Lex, um, things like meat patties, MTP, like those are never going to be on the CX because anyone who has the IVF to make a meat patty also has the food processor to turn that into a meal and then put the MEA on the market. So not seeing, not seeing meat patties, uh, not seeing all of these intermediaries on the market isn't really necessarily a problem. And as, as you were saying uh, uh, earlier, I mean, really the CX is about overflow. It's about, I have excess and I'm going to put it on the CX or I have, um, I need a little bit extra. And so I'm going to buy it off of the CX. And so until your market has enough excess in those higher tiers, which means that you need a lot of volume, um, you have to be producing a lot of shipping ship parts to regularly be able to purchase them off the CX. And that, this is, this game is a really, really, really fat pyramid where the bottom has to... It's a lot wider than the top. A lot yeah. wider than top. And I, I mean, meals, MEAs are one of the places where I make absolute bank because the markups are nuts. Oh, and, and that's just... Well, yeah. and the multiplier is just unreal. And, and every step of processing that you're able to, you know, vertically integrate, you're, you're, capturing, you're capturing income at every step, which is why you're never going to put uh, meat patties on the market. You're going to put meals on the market. You're not going to put VG, you're, or you're not going to put VIT on the market. You're going to make that into VG yourself. Yeah, and I'm I'm producing nutrient solution, and I'm putting it on the market. But the only reason I'm putting it on the market right now is because I literally haven't built the base that will consume it yet, and it's just a yeah. temporary. I actually do that with FIM. I have plans for my FIM production, but right now it's just the only really solid, amazing amount of easy cash I get. I mean, I have other sources, but yeah, yeah. the plan is- FIM has been a moneymaker for me, for sure. The The plan is to take that FIM and use it for something, but it's just kind of ended up being that I haven't, I had this big plan to get engineers and I've ended up going like five other ways, which I'm totally happy with, but it's just kind of created this thing where I have this FIM production that's only used to sell on the market, but was originally planned specifically to supply engineers. So it's there. So, yeah, and until you have that happening at scale where there's a significant number of players, then your markets are just going to be spotty and thin across the yeah. board. And I, I argue that some of this is inevitable, right? I, I You've probably, I think y'all have both heard me, the two of y'all. I, I think that it's best to think of this game as a pre-industrial economy, that basically a series of home factories that can't make things at large scale that have transportation costs to get everything everywhere and markets essentially act as a sort of limited way of these little cities that, and home factories to sell overflow and provide for things. You know, there's, 
the, the reality is that the if you look at the me, medieval and Roman economies, some things they produced a lot of. Some things were produced in massive quantities because everyone needed it. And then there were tons of things that was like one guy in town might make it, or you might have to go to another town to get it, or you might have to go three towns over, or it might be shipped in by a sea ship once a year. Like, and that was people. The funny thing is people did just fine. I mean, obviously they didn't live as long, but if you look at their, <laughs> if you look at them, so, so, that's the thing, right? People, we, we people sometimes, did fine. Sometimes, but they died sooner. <laughs> they died a lot. So they died a lot. The but they, but they were doing it, fine, it guys. The, 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 I, that's just a weird thing. I, I, oh, I Lex, just, I love you. So I study a lot of history, and I think people misunderstand that the people in the past didn't look at their lives. As, they didn't look and go, oh, boy, look at all the terrible things I don't have. I mean, people, people have survived for a very long time under conditions that would look terrible to us. But the reality is, is that for you know, there were always problems in the ancient economies, but people overcame those problems, and in a way, that's what we're doing here. We're we're trying we're replicating a, an economy that doesn't scale, where you can't just make a you can't just make a giant factory that does five hundred times what used to be done. You know, like you, you have a limited right. amount of everything. I, I mean, and, you can build one farm, and sure, you can build ten farms, but you can't build a hundred or a thousand as a user. Or and, you can't. And, Compare that to America, where like, yeah, sure, all you know, all of the Twinkies in America are made in one factory. You know, they supply five, you know, five hundred million people from one factory, and, and, and a lot of goods are like that. And not only that, but those factories have got force multipliers all throughout their design, right? It, it's everything about those factories is scaled up. You've got machines that do things which used to be done by hand or used to be done by less efficient machines. And now it's like you got this machine that can just press hundreds of something where it used to be you might have a smaller machine that could press it five at a time. Yeah. Right? So if this was if this was post-industrial, then there would be one or two players who were producing all of the BFABs in the entire game. Can we just like can we just like get space Twinkies to be a commodity in the game? <laughs> it's but, Twinkies, but, but in space. But but the relevance to the topic is is that scarcity of goods available on markets is a feature of those economies, particularly when you're dealing with more complex parts, right? Yeah. Subsistence items everyone has, everybody's farming, everybody's making farming tools, everybody's making basic things that all the villages and towns need. But there's once you get to blacksmiths, you've got a smaller amount of those to the point where, you know, blacksmiths often, for example, were immune from certain types of military service because there just weren't enough of them, right? It's just one of those things. At least I'm not. I think that was one of the classes it was. But right, there were there were protected classes of people that were vital because there just weren't very many of them, and then their supply sources were fairly limited because the blacksmith is making all that stuff. He's getting all this metal from somewhere. Well. Yeah, they 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 produce large amounts of metal, but mostly just because they use lots of people to go make it. And then the as you went up the chain, it got rarer and more difficult. And I, I always remember the story of the idea of the aluminum on the Washington Monument it used to be this really expensive thing before they figured out how to extract it from bauxite ore. I think it's bauxite ore they do it with. And it was like used to be really hard to make, had to be done in a difficult way. Now it's like. You, you go buy aluminum sheets and use them for the cheapest things in the store, right? So we tend to think in this postmodern or, or this post-industrial economy where it's like we just we want to go to the store and we buy 5,000 of something and they've got 20 of them in the back 
And, you know, one of the things about the COVID kind of was interesting just because it was an experience of, oh, they don't have that. They've always had it. Right. And so at least in America, this idea that there's going to be these problems and the supply chain is going to have all these weaknesses is hard to really get used to. I'm sure other countries have different stories, but that's the reality of this game. So even even though we might try to fix it, I think as long as we have a pre-industrial economic system, scarcity in these products is going to be part of the game. Yeah. Well, and to, to your point, pre-industrial -econ, uh, pre economic system is built into the game. Like it's designed in. Yeah, yeah it's, it's deliberate and yep. you're not really supposed to have that many ways to move things. Like it's, you, you can't just go and buy 500 trucks. Like the game's just not designed for that. And that's just the way it is. Which brings us back around to this is a fundamentally multiplayer game. So if you want to do anything more than just produce tier one uh, items, you're going to need to uh, com communicate with people, find suppliers, find um, buyers, probably half on the CX, half off the CX. Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, I will wrap it up there for this subject. It's been just an absolutely fantastic conversation. Um, it, it definitely is. It's a problem, right? And, and I, you know, there is some solutions out there for sure. Um, I, I'd say if there was one maybe conclusion I could wrap this all up with, and if there's like a thesis statement to end this with, it, it is a multiplayer game. Right at the end of the day, in its base, in its rawest form, this game is a multiplayer game. And so if you do find yourself struggling to find these products... I mean, when I was a governor of Katoa, same deal. I, I went to players. I went to players that were producing these things, and you, I asked around. You were a governor of Katoa? I was a governor of Katoa. You realize if somebody <laughs> blinked, they might miss that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's still raw, Lex, okay? It's still raw. <laughs> oh, <man>. Too soon. <laughs> no, uh, no, thank you very much, Archiel, for the excellent conversation. Um, we are now yeah, going to hop... Uh, hop into our second second topic of the night and it is hosted by my good friend Lex so Lex tell us what the subject is and what are we going to be talking about well we're going to be talking about something I'm entirely ignorant on but was an excellent water cooler conversation and I thought that people that know things people that have bought ship upgrades or thought about the problem we could talk about and that is essentially what you put on your ships and in particular, I'll deframe the conversation a little bit because the water cooler was about, and I thought it was an excellent discussion about some of the different compromises, you know, bigger tanks, size of the emitters, things like that. It was an excellent conversation from that perspective. But I definitely sort of wanted to ground it in probably the biggest one, which is the size of the um, the tank, basically the your capacity on your on your the, ship. The cargo bay. The cargo bay and the fuel tanks and the things that weigh things and affect your ships. The the choices. Because I remember um Des was talking about Nika having like a super fast ship. And if I remember seeing the designs on that, it's basically a really small cargo tank and really fast speeds. So it's a it's a specific design to do one thing really, really well. And I'm actually thinking about upgrades. So I've I I'm gonna need an FTL ship that can carry a whole lot of aluminum between Demos and Antares or, or Nike. So I've, that's specifically in my future, right? So I'm thinking about this very problem, but I wanted to have a conversation about when you build your ship when you design it or buy it or upgrade it, what you're thinking about in terms of your cargo bay, 
whether you're going to have for new ships, whether you're going to go with FTL engines, if so, what, what characteristics you're going to put in it and what thoughts you have and trade-offs you're making while doing that. I guess I can, I can talk to that a little bit. I think the main thing is, is when you're looking at upgrades, uh, the wide cargo bay makes a lot of sense. The, uh, the, the one for carrying ore, um, because that doesn't require you to do all of the same upgrades you need for the uh, 2K2K cargo bay or the volume-based cargo bay. So it's a really cheap upgrade, and it's really efficient. If you want to upgrade one of your starter ships to a 2K2K base for like uh, hauling water or something like that, uh, the cost is pretty close to buying a whole new ship. So, uh, you know, I'd advise against that and just, just buy another ship if that's what you need. So under what can, so talk about this, because I'm actually, I'm not only ignorant of it, but it's a great topic. What this wide uh, cargo bay, what is its characteristics like? Yeah, so the, the, the wide cargo bay is uh, 3,000 tons and 1,000 cubic meters. So it's great for hauling most ores um, and most refined metals. Basically, anything that's, anything that's approaching that ratio of weighing two or three times or more time, you know, multiples, two or three times the volume is uh, ideal for that. So, for example, I am definitely looking at needing to ship a lot of aluminum, and that's 2.7 is ratio. So. Yeah, so that's right, right about there. You'll, you'll fill up the volume first. You'll put 1,000 aluminum on it. You'll fill the volume, and the, the weight restriction will be pretty close to full. Does anybody go the other way with more volume and less weight? Like, is there any particular thing you'd make for that? Uh, yeah, the gases. Yeah, yeah so I was going like to say gas. Fuel. So if you're flying helium, hydrogen, then then it really makes sense to go with one of those. So is there any argument for sticking with smaller cargo bases? What it, and maybe changing something else? Like, you you don't necessarily want to move a, like, you want a different characteristic of ship. Is What is the benefit of the smaller base? Uh, I feel like those tiny, because there are much smaller cargo bays than your starter ships even, uh, they're almost a vanity project. They're really niche. Um, I do know someone who's got one, and he flies he flies CX to CX, max burn fuel back and forth. Uh, the reasons for that are if you're selling drones in between CXs to exchange money, or if you're moving some real small high-value goods. I mean, we're talking like... The small ship parts, basically, is the only thing that I can really think that you might move around. But even then, like the case for moving it, it's kind of a vanity thing to have a super tiny ship that flies super fast. You don't see any particular specific things in the chains that might be efficient with those kind of, that, kind of sizes? You know, I, I'm really, really pressed to, to find something that you would... You know, just if you've got something really small, just throw it on your big ship along with the other big stuff, unless there's some reason you need to move it really fast. And there's not much in this game that you need to move really fast uh, and just can't wait for, you know, plan a little more to have it, plan to have it a day later, you know. The so only I... the only thing that I can think of is it it probably it might benefit to have a smaller bay on an STL ship. Um, if you just need to, if you have built 
a a planet stack on a particular system that requires you to move a lot of stuff really or you know move stuff really fast between them to keep it all supplied that might be a use case but outside of that yeah it's tough because in that case i just say like hey get a bigger buffer you know yeah buffer, exactly. <laughs> buffer up three days worth of production and move the ship less frequently so so um, is there really any benefit for like sticking with the smaller not tiny but smaller bays and not going for the sizes i mean is the I, yeah i don't well i mean my, so my stl ships my stl ships have 500 they're 500 and i they're that's more than i need it's just because you're moving so short like you can in in the same system you're talking about a couple of hours of flight time and so you can make uh, you know at, at pretty high speed it depends on if it's an a or e or whatever but still you're moving pretty quick and so even letting the volumes stack up you typically unless you're moving some high tonnage thing you're not you're not going to run out of room I mean, I've been in the situation where someone posted orders for LFEs on a different CX, and it's like, oh, if I can get this there before anybody else posts it, I can, you know, I can make four hundred thousand. And then it's like, yeah, fly this thing as fast as you can to get there. You know, I paid I paid twenty thousand for a shipping contract once to get a bunch of LFEs to another CX, but uh, man, you, you only need you only need a couple of those per region, I think. So are there any other parts that you would say are worth like when you're going with the other parts, any of the damage reductions, any of those, any of those worth anything, or are they just vanity type buys? Uh, I think everyone who's done the math on them is pretty much just like, yeah, they're all not the, the payback time for the reduced damage is just so long that it's never really going to be worth it in a game like this. Um, you know, lightweight hull, pl hull plates are probably better than the basic hull plates. Um, you could maybe make a case for uh, ships landing on high-gravity planets all the time, but even then, I think it's easier to just eat the repair cost. Um, yeah. I, I think the, the, the really interesting thing that, that I always try to talk about is the emitter count. And yeah. the consequences of that on uh, fuel yeah. consumption and speed. Yeah, can you can you give us a picture of that? Yeah, so I've been doing a, a ton of math trying to reverse engineer all of the ship uh, flight characteristics based on the the choices that are put into it. And the one big takeaway for me is that how this works is as the volume of your ship increases, uh, you need more small emitters, and then you you need more medium emitters as it increases more. And then as it increases more, it takes away the small and medium emitters and replaces them with large emitters. Well, the interesting thing is that the large emitters are more efficient. They're more efficient in their charge time and the amount of fuel they use for charging. So uh, if you find yourself in a situation where, hey, your starter ship uses uh, uh, two small emitters, three medium emitters, but you can bump that up so it takes those small and medium ones out and gives you just a large emitter instead. You can basically cut your FTL uh, fuel consumption in half. You can reduce your FTL your your total flight time on some flights by forty percent <clears throat> uh, at the expense of a little more STL fuel. But uh, it's a pretty it can be a pretty big win. So you kind of got to mess around with it a lot to find those sweet spots. And just one last question, because this has been a nice little shorter segment. 
choice of engine. Is there any thought goes into that? Man, I think I think that's a really interesting one. Uh, the fuel efficient engine is a good choice uh, because I don't think the cost is really much higher, and it it just saves over time. Um, but uh, that's that's one that I haven't dealt you know delved into very deeply. So I don't know if anyone else here has gone into the engine choice more. I've actually, yeah, no, I've actually, uh, I, I told the, I told the guys today that um, I actually got an upgrade for my ship from GTU, and now I actually haven't done. I don't believe I've done an engine upgrade, or maybe I have. <laughs> I'd have to look because uh, I, I have a large FTL emitter. I don't know if that's like base, baseline. Anywho long story short is like, I've just realized that I do a lot of like um, milk runs now. That's a big thing is like, I don't need to go to the Benton space station that much. Like if I could load, like I could go to Harmonia, I could go to Katoa, load, load. Uh, I, you know, I could go to, um, or not Harmonia, sorry, Etherwind. And if I could load up those two things in like one foul swoop and then maybe even switch over to Malahat, I have a base there and, and drop off some things. I can do this milk run without having to go back to Benton Station because that in, a, in itself is a big time waster, actually, right? Not and not like obviously I have to go there to sell goods and stuff like that, but it's very much like okay, I don't if I can if I can help not going there unnecessarily just to get more fuel, then that's the case, right? Because the big thing is is people are like, oh, you could just fit you could just fit fuel inside your cargo storage, right? I'm like, I could, and it's probably not that much storage, right? It's probably not taking up that much storage. But I mean, if you have a storage of 500 tons, it definitely, you know, you want as much storage as possible, right? So it's that it's that problem, right? And I think that's a big thing. So having different engines, I think, is a key, especially if especially I would say this much if you do start going outside to factionless space, right? If you start going out there and you're doing milk runs of like five to six planets plus you want, you want as much fuel in those engines as possible to make that milk run as, as worthwhile as possible. And the storage of course as well. But I mean, you know, planning those milk runs out and that's, you know, it's funny when we were chatting earlier before the podcast, or maybe it was during the podcast about this game being slow and how it's actually picking up for me a lot. I think a big thing is, is like just a lot of what it is, is thinking, right? Is a lot of it is kind of planning out those routes and being like, okay, I'm going to go to Malahat and I'm going to go to Etherwind and I'm going to go to Katoa and I'm going to go back again and then, and planning those things out and calculating those things on Excel spreadsheets in terms of like what I need to bring to those planets. So it's a lot of, and, and it's just going to grow. I can't even like how many, so you do nine planets, Arkeel. How many ships do you have currently right now? I have three and I was doing seven with two. Um, I lean on uh, con uh, shipping contracts a fair bit for that. See, uh, you, yeah, it seems like everybody except me is doing shipping contracts nowadays. I mean, honestly, the prices, I think that the standard going rate uh, on the market for newbies taking contracts or whoever it is taking contracts is really cheap. It, it's really compared, low. <laughs> compared to, yeah, compared to the profit that you're making off yeah. of uh, the amount of stuff you can stuff on a ship. Especially once you start making, you know, you know that that might not be the case with if you're making aluminum or hauling no. ore around, but once you're once you move up the tier, like oh, I, my Etherwind base makes me four hundred thousand uh, a week, so yeah, yeah. just there, I'm like, all right, two thousand, three thousand dollars, sure, here you go, here's a shipping contract. Uh, I, I mean, uh, 
QJ650C is is my gold planet. The gold is awful to ship. It's it's 20 tons per meter. It's so nasty. So, so I convert it to um, high uh, high quality connectors on planet, and then that that piece of gold, it, it, you know, it turns into a hundred ton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns into what, what are, yeah. Gold. What are they? They're two thousandth of a meter cubed for high capacity connectors. So, all right, and we are back from our break. This time, it wasn't thirty minutes. <laughs> Probably the first ever non thirty minute podcast break we've had. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, as I mentioned right before the break, we have uh, our good friend Lex. For those that don't know, and I guess you know, I never really, I haven't made this official, and I hope I've, you know, we we've chatted about it and made this official internally. But I'll I'll just say externally that Des is actually now an inaugural co-host of our podcast. Um, you know, we were chatting last week about the new podcast and where we're going with the future of things, and you know. A big topic we chatted about was where where this is going with Des, and I've just really enjoyed him. Uh, in podcast nine, we chatted about that we have this open door policy, and Des was the only one that kind of took us up on that opportunity, and he just stuck around. I, I just remember, I, I I feel like I should yeah. go back in the episodes, like episode two or three, and I just remember the like ding, like you joining, and just like yeah, oh hi, <laughs> and like that, was like, like sorry. The first time it was like halfway to the podcast. He's just like, okay, I'll talk now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. It's just like, oh, there's this guy here. That's nice. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so I'm not going to spoil the subject. Des is going to, well, I did. Oh, shoot, I already did. Okay, I'll edit it out. So Des, tell us, because I haven't spoiled it yet. <laughs> so one of the things that has come up uh, recently in Antari space is we had a scalper um, go after drinking water and bought a whole bunch of drinking water low and jacked the price way up. Um, and then it happened again later with BFABs. And uh, I've noticed multiple times that the 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 citizens in, in and around Huber, um, if that's how you say that, have complained about big players coming in and buying up all of the quantities of something and shipping it back to Moria or somewhere else. And so there's this uh, kind of big problem with scalping uh, in the game. And I, th I think that's one of my first questions is, I mean, scalping happens in the real world. Um, it's kind of frowned upon. Can I but just interrupt you, actually? World. What do you yeah. mean? I actually, I, 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 not rhetorical. What do you mean by scalping exactly? Can you, can you shed some yeah. light for the listeners and myself of what that means exactly? Absolutely. So we had in the drinking water example, we had, uh, we don't know exactly what price uh, the player bought at, but they bought at, say, call it 65 per unit on drinking water. And they just bought all of the drinking water on the the commodity exchange in Antari space and then relisted it at uh something like i don't remember what it was 80 90 per unit so they have all so now all of the drinking water that was there has been bought and if you need drinking water you have to pay this exorbitantly high price uh and so that's what i mean by scalping and i i also kind of in somewhat including the I'm going to go buy out all of the the commodity um, in one exchange and go sell it in another exchange. 
particularly with um uh items that 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 uh area that fledgling area perhaps uh needs in order to continue to function well so that's what i mean by that does that make sense yeah, it does. And so are you arguing or the people you are talking to, are they arguing that this is a good thing or a bad thing? So that's actually my question is it's generally frowned upon um, as in players don't like that it's happening. Uh, but I think it's I mean, it's part of the game. It happens in real life. And even in real life, it's frowned upon. People don't don't like it when they have to pay a higher price because they couldn't get a retail unit. Um, or a ticket, you know, tickets are scalped. And so, you know, they have to pay 10 times what the ticket would have costed if they had been able to get it as a real ticket from uh, uh, the normal purchase price. But it is part of the game. And so because this is a game, do does the, do you think this has positive or negative effects on the game itself? As, kind of as an MMO um, and as a game with a fairly low population uh, trying to build a, a large economy? So my answer is, if the good is fungible, scalping is not only fine, it's actually probably a positive. Uh, explain, explain why you think that. So the problem with scalping of tickets is they're very much a non-fungible good. So the ticket is available in a limited quantity ever. And essentially somebody gets access to the supply, which is very limited and will never increase, buys it at a low price because the seller is essentially underselling it, turns around and sells it for a price people are willing to pay for it and takes advantage. There's a lot of issues with that. In the case of drinking water on the market, anytime someone scalps, they're basically, what they're essentially recognizing is that in a very real sense, either they're overcharging and new players are going to come in and get a profit and lower the price and they've overcharged, or everybody else was going too low. Because to scalp, you basically have to buy up all the lower price supplies and turn it in. And inevitably, if it's at all possible, particularly for something like drinking water, new suppliers will come in and undercut that price. Now, are there situations where it might be a negative? Yes, but I think the argument is scalping often occurs when the price has been artificially lowered by constant, basically too many suppliers. And somebody comes in is essentially trying to change supply and it actually creates opportunities. Now, and, and admittedly, I'm, you know, I, I live in the South of the United States where we're all, all business is good and everything's great until, it, <laughs> until you get screwed by it and then the government should come in and fix it, right? Right, right. So nobody likes it when they're getting screwed but thinks it's just business when everybody else gets screwed. I don't necessarily like when I get hit by scalpers, but at the same time, I think it creates specific – it's an open market. Any player could have bought that stuff. Any player is allowed to buy or sell at any price the market wants to take. Scalpers are just essentially creating opportunities. And now you could say certain commodities are not sufficiently fungible for that to be the case, but drinking water, I mean, everyone should be producing drinking water. So I don't see how that creates long-term problems. Yeah. And it, this has happened um, in Atari space that happened on uh, BFABs as well, which are also high volume items, but, uh, 
So there's, so what you're saying basically is that if scalping is happening, then it's the, basically the price has been artificially lowered by players who are selling too low. And because people need drinking water and it's a, a valued at a certain level. And if the scalper can sell it at that level, then. The scalper is basically taking out all the competition and resetting the price. Yeah. And, yeah. and the reality is if they're, if they put their price wrong, then the new competitors can come in and undercut them. And it's basically an opportunity for new suppliers. Now, if, if it really is something that's rare, and I, I kind of understand the farther out bases where supply is like Hoover, that's you're dealing with some people that are dealing with supply problems and things. I, I will state that in the real world, this is why people use long-term evergreen contracts, right? The solution to these problems is to lock in your supply of these things with people that can supply them. The CX really should be a spot price short-term need, don't rely on it, at least for really big needs. Now, that's just my personal opinion. I, I still want new players to be able to come in and sell because new players don't have those relationships. They need to be able to buy and sell and things like that. But well, fundamentally... To kind of follow up on that, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, so, I mean, as a pro player, I can go secure um, constant supply of something that I need. Like, I can do that. Because I can do contracts and all that and all that stuff, and I know where to find those things. But to a free to play player, a free license player doesn't necessarily know where to find all those things and may not be able to do the contracts outside of the CX. And I understand that second problem, though that's a choice the game designers put into the game that I think was a mistake. You have a trading game and you're you're making it so that players can't access trades. I think that was just an error. But I think this the first point, which is you may not know where to get the supply. Yeah, that's a legitimate consideration. Still, I think overall scalping is, you know, I think piracy is going to drive players away. I think scalping creates opportunities. So I have very different view. Last week, I'm like, I could defend piracy as a, creating opportunities, and I really don't like it, and I think it discourages players. I think this kind of problem is a short-term irritation that creates opportunities in the market because if somebody has raised the price of something, then that brings people into the market and gives them incentives to go participate because the price is now higher. So I, I don't really have a, I personally don't have a problem with scalping. I will say I've right. made a lot more money. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, the scalper takes on a huge amount. They, they dump a load of capital. A lot of people get paid for their drinking water. Everybody's and, getting, everybody's getting yeah. bought out. I mean, it's all, you know, that stuff is all available. And it just makes a, makes a higher price market for everyone producing it. So uh, really in this case, especially it was the scalper just, throwing away a lot of money and now they got a lot of drinking water to sit on well and scalping too is a risk right that's i think a big thing a big component of scalping is the fact that there's this risk component to it where it's like i mean yeah you can do it but i mean like you said you said it perfectly perfectly archeal is the fact that they're throwing money not throwing money away necessarily but they're locking it in right they're they're making a bet that there's not going to be somebody coming yeah. tomorrow producing and that's why i think we're not so you're talking about scalping on drinking water, right? In in Antar space, which I kind of find shocking, to be honest. I'm kind of like, I, I'd be very interested to see how that happened because the fact that everybody's producing it. So there's this massive risk. Like, I think that dissuades scalpers, right? There's this massive risk involved where it's like, okay, I mean, 
sure you can do it, but I mean, somebody tomorrow could just come and undercut you. And then it's like, you have to buy that from that, that person. Right. And, and around and around you go, it's, it's a risky business. I think for some of the higher end materials, it's maybe a danger because those aren't, I mean, they're fungible, but they're not really that fungible because they're available in such limited quantities, but any of these larger quantity items, I, I, I don't see what the issue is. I mean, obviously, if someone just kept buying it all up, if somebody just had an infinite amount of money and just kept buying it up, that would be a problem. But you know, the reality is, is the players will react, right? I mean, if drinking water is too expensive, then there's a market for less expensive drinking water. It's it's right there. And either you do it yourself or you, you know, you, basically you start making drinking water and you make the scalper buy up your stuff too. Yep. Well, actually, it's interesting because about 10 minutes after this pod, we started recording the podcast, I had um, over a thousand units of drinking water on the market below the scalper and he bought it all. Yeah. Um, and so I like now I'm richer, but he has to keep buying. And so I don't think the drinking water specifically has worked out for him because it's such a high volume commodity. People just have thousands of drinking water available just to put on at a lower price and you can't indefinitely buy it. But um, is this a problem? I, I really think there's there's maybe two kind of angles of what about places like Huber and what about um, kind of tying into our conversation earlier on trying to seed higher tier markets? So my answer on place like Huber is basis cost is a real thing. Anybody familiar with the term of a basis cost? It's basically the price differential between two locations. It's a, it's, so it's again, oil and gas thing, right? It costs yes. this amount in one location and sells for another. There are whole markets in the real world based on that single factor, right? Right. And so if someone is going into a small market and buying up all the commodities, either that part, either it's too cheap in that market and they should have been charging more because they just gave somebody a business opportunity. Or it just simply costs more to supply that place because it's farther away from the rest of the supplies. Now, I, the only exception I'm willing to make is the same way I'd make in the real life, which is if somebody is starving, you don't do this, right? You, you don't you don't keep people from living their lives. Like you don't let people starve in the streets because you jack the price up. So if it's causing inability to do basic game functions and can't be solved, then I have a problem with it. I don't know if that's what's happening. I think I can't directly speak to that i think it's mostly just a major annoyance and is causing production to halt occasionally but and, and i, I and do maybe somebody maybe somebody can pipe up in the water cooler and uh correct me if i'm wrong but i think that's what the case is i think the bigger issue is the one that i think you're kind of hitting at which is that lack of liquidity in the cx's creates its own set of problems right yeah These, yeah the, the this is a this is a liquidity problem. This is a lack of enough things in the market. Like you can't corner the market when the market is big and highly liquid. It just it's not feasible, right? And trying to do so gets you murdered. If if there's an issue with an area where it's just the people can't rely on the CX because the CX is not reliable, I can sort of understand how it's like 
I can't trust the CX, so I'm not going to use the CX, creates its own vicious cycle. Kind of understand that. Yep. And, and, and so that's about the farthest I'd go on a counter argument to that point. It's like maybe, maybe it's a problem, but I, I just keep returning to the fact that this is fundamentally a business production and trading game. None of this stuff is outside the bounds of normal behavior. Like there's no, there's nothing unethical about this. You're not stealing from anybody. You're, you're just doing the normal kinds of things that happen in a game about production and trade. So I don't know if I have a problem with any of it. And, it, and here's the bigger question. How do you regulate it if you want to? So I, I will give you the, the libertarian's counter question. Libertarianism has many practical problems. And, and right libertarian in America drives me crazy. I'm not a right libertarian, but I'm a libertarian. So this is like, this is a little bit of an internal holy war. <laughs> it, 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 like it's one of those things where it's like libertarianism is not I get to do whatever I want and screw you like that's not real libertarianism in my viewpoint and some libertarians talk like that I, I just want to call you names and treat you like crap but if you do the same to me well that's not fair I'm like guess what it's a two-way street bud yep, but, the, yep. But, but the reality of it is that you know, when you start regulating you start taking choices away this is the whole this is essentially the same argument as the piracy questions. Like when the game designer forces choices away from a player, the game loses an element of the game. Is this problem so bad that it has to have regulation? If so, then we regulate, but the game loses something. And then what kind of regulation do you put in place? Limit the amount of product price changes you can have? Well, that, what happens if the supply really does go bad? You can end up with artificial elements in the market where essentially, you know, if the price can't reflect the true value of something because you forced the price in the wrong place, then you get inefficiencies in the market. People stop making things, right? right. Which, is, which is the negative of regulation. Not Regulation serves many good purposes, but it's almost always inefficient in certain ways. So how do you solve this with some sort of regulatory structure to get rid of the problem? Is it worth doing? And, and I'm, I'm like, nobody's convinced me at this point that that's really a good thing, but. Well, I, and I would say that your second qualification, there's nobody starving because drinking water is high. <laughs> there's nobody going thirsty. Like it's, it's drinking water and theoretically your, your production stops, but nobody is really starving. It's just a, it's a number on a screen. And so this is really just these just like the the commodities are fungible in this game this is this is not a real life sim simulation and so that second qualification that you brought up doesn't apply well but i'll give the same is a the ton of bricks question is anything about this going to cause players to leave the game that makes it not worth having in the game because i think let me be clear this is, uh, i think the openness of the market and the ability of the market to be whatever price brings people into the game i would say that as well like it's that idea of emergent gameplay yeah so is yeah. the is so i think having the potential to scalp actually brings players into the game yeah is it going to take players away worse than it brings it in 100 because like piracy yeah. Piracy is like you were talking about it. Like, is this unethical, right? Is scalping unethical? And and no, from from our standpoint, because that's like a tolerable thing, right? And it's it's like fun. And like I hear players, like new players, talk about like market forces and market effects. They're like, oh, like look at this thing. And I remember being like wide eyed and innocent when I first started this game. And I too was like, 
oh, like, look at all these cool, like, market forces and, and what's happening in the market. And I thought as well, I was like, ooh, what if I could scalp? And, you know, this, and that's like what we're here to do. Like, we're here to play this sort of market based game. But, it, and that's like, it's almost like back to that example about like the bugs in Factorio, right? It's like, it's like a lot of us turn it off because really the appeal of the game is the factories. It isn't the PVE element to the game necessarily. Oh, not for me. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, not but for I, me either. But, but I do think, to me, that's the fundamental question, right? Is, is I think as a behavior, it's annoying. The, mar the players have ways of reacting to it. There are ways that the community can address it. Yep. Are, is this something that's going to cause players to leave the game? Does it take away reasonable opportunities? Does it distort the game in a bad way? Those are when I start thinking about addressing it from a game design perspective. Are any of those things happening with this? I don't think so. I mean, I'll be honest. The first time I saw somebody uh, complain about all the stuff being bought off of Huber, like this was probably a couple weeks into my game. I was like, well, who cares? Just go somewhere else. You got a ship, right? And, <laughs> and I, who cares? You got a ship. <laughs> well, and I, and here, I guess my thing is, is that the one of the nice, nice things about having multiple CXs is this basis differential is the opportunity for players. It does create opportunities, right? They're, the the fact that one market's at one price, another market's at another price, and you can make money by moving around, or you know, if there's a shortage in one market, and the other market has it, guess what? There's an opportunity to go get a ship and move it there. Like these things are all there. Yeah. And I think, yep. and I, and I'm not saying it's not inconvenient. I definitely understand players that are negatively affected. You know, the question is, is, is it such a bad problem that it really has to be dealt with? Because I think the open market and the fact that these kind of things are possible adds a great deal to the game. I, I, I have a problem with game breaking things or just, yep it's super irritating and nobody benefits and nobody gets a good thing out of it. But as you pointed out, this person is basically helping every drinking water seller make money. Yeah. I'm making a lot more money than it was before. <laughs> so it's just moving, it's moving profits around, which yeah. is part of the game. And part of the game is finding opportunities and exploiting them. That is part of the game. So I, I don't really have a problem with it. And I would generally agree. I think uh, as much as, there is complaining going on in the various discords that I'm a part of and various channels and all that stuff. I do think this is a net positive. And I've actually enjoyed trying to constantly undercut the scalper and beat him at his own game. Like that's been fun for me. Yeah. And so. profitable too. And yeah, profitable. It's, it's really brought our corp together. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bringing people together. It really is. Well, so. you've you've that that alone sort of answers that at least some players are benefiting from. Warm, it, it just warms goes, my heart. Well, it just it just it does go back to the positive element that we talked about last week with piracy. Now, and if you've seen, if you haven't listened to it, it was a really great discussion. There's a short wave of it. I'm going to plug that, and. Uh, it's that there are benefits to the competitive elements of a game. They create opportunities. And this one players can react to. And the community yep, reaction to it does create interesting things. And that is emergent gameplay. That's what makes a game interesting. So I'm all on board with it. Can I just say? I think that's that, a... 
Oh, I was just going to say that no no other topic that I think we've ever discussed on this podcast have we ever flip-flopped on the podcast more. <laughs> piracy <laughs> at the beginning, we're like, the piracy's terrible, guys. It's just, oh, yeah. It's just the worst. Hey, 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 guys, piracy, you know, it's pretty great, actually. You know, oh, no, guys, it, 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 it takes people away from the game. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> well, I think, I think actually, Lex, your summary there is a great way to conclude uh, that this seems to be a positive thing. As, mu- as annoying as it is, it creates a lot of really good things for this particular game. So I think that's all I have for the segment then. That's awesome. No, thanks, Des. Uh, just fantastic. We told Des right before the podcast uh, started back up from the break that if he if he messed it up, he'd be banned from the uh, podcast. Uh, so you'll see Des next week. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, no, thanks, Des. Appreciate it. And it is an interesting topic because it falls, you know, falls kind of in line with that theme about, like, you know, uh, morally ambiguous behavior, right? Like some similar to piracy, right? It's kind of like do you do you really want to do it is this something that the community looks upon and how does the community look upon it right and it's funny because we flip-flopped a lot on piracy and scalping is something that i think we all because we all i'd say we're all kind of like-minded in the game right we all come to this game for and it's funny that this game is so niche that if anything you know a big mmo like destiny 2 for instance it can bring all sorts of gamers from all sorts of walk walks of life and anybody can play it, and it's very much like it brings all sorts of people to the game. While as this game, it's so niche that dare I say it brings people together closer because it's like we're we all share this like like minded pattern. Notice how all of us played Factorio together. <laughs> it's yeah. just like it's just, yeah, it brings people together. So I know. keep I keep getting in the mood to like start another server and do another mega base every time we talk about it. Oh dude, we should do Bob's and Angels just to just to make ourselves go insane. You, you know, I've never actually done Bob's and Angels. It's always been sort of the next step. I just never got around can to it. Can I ask I, a question? I would recommend the space exploration set. Like oh, that's just, too. just doing extra planets. Oh, it's 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 a blast. All I can say, Lex, is on Bob's and Angels, I have one question for you. And this this will answer if you should do Bob's and Angels. Do you hate yourself? <laughs> <laughs> if the answer is yes, do Bob's and Angels. Because like I said, it's, yeah, it's, I won't go into it. I've already kind of gone into it with you guys. Anyway, uh, so let's move on to the final segment. And we save always the best for last in this podcast. And that is Lex's purchase or produce so lex without further ado my friend take it away so this is going to be a two-part segment a little different but we'll start with the first part and it i'm going to go with the form i did last time so i'm going to list a material and then you can basically ask first of all is it something that you procure or do you produce it and then if you procure it is it something you purchase from the cx which we've seen can be dangerous is it something you partner to get a regular supply of? And then if you are producing it, is it something that you provide to other people or not? Or is it something specifically within your own chain? So we will go with that for the first part of the segment. Can I just, I'm gonna go before, with, before hmm? we go any further, Archiel, do you get it? Do you get the concept? Yeah, yeah, it makes oh, sense. Okay, good, okay, Phew. sorry, okay. sorry. So, random one that only because it was something that I was having to buy a little bit lately and I said to myself, this is kind of interesting because I thought maybe I'd have to produce it. 
And then I looked at it and got interested in it. And that is a medium fastener kit, MFK. So we'll ask the question and we'll let anybody join. Our guest can obviously start first if he wants to. Is this something that you will procure or is this something that you will produce? Uh, I, I, I'm in that situation and I, I buy those because I, I, you, they're small. You don't need a lot of them. And uh, I, they seem readily accessible. So is it something that you have a partnership on or is it something that you go to the CX and buy? I don't need a lot of them, so I get them off the CX. Okay. So I'm in the same boat. Yeah, I, I I buy them. Has anybody seen any reason they might want to produce these? It sounds like everybody's is everybody's buying it. It requires a building that I'm still kind of. We'll actually talk about it later. The Metalist Studio, and it requires steel, so it's got kind of an annoying input. But does anybody see any argument for producing this? Like they would go buy. I really think I may want to make this part of my chain. I think it's just a matter of quantity, like how many are really turning out. Uh, see, I use them for EXOs or, uh, you know, th those kind of things. I think that might be it, actually. Yeah, so I've used the, yeah, exoskeletons are made with it, and, and you just, you need so few, because it's not a, you get 10 exoskeletons for one MFK, so they're not particularly. And, and uh, my BMP is usually doing something else, so it's just that thing that, hey, occasionally there's an opening and I can churn and out a couple of these. They go into um, ship components. Yeah, I do see that. And obviously, you know, I they don't need tons of them for most of the ship components, though. Like that's... yeah, and and the like. Uh, let's see, it takes twenty to do a large cargo bay. Well, you don't need that many large cargo bays. Like if you're producing one large cargo bay a week to produce the one ship you're making a week, you only need twenty a week. Yeah, the, the tricky part of that one is the alpha stabilized titanium more likely than the MFKs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm so, an AST producer, and yeah, we make we make about one a day, me and you and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've probably seen that discussion. Okay. Yes, so this, it's so too this many. One, so this one is very much a, it's a nice intermediary product. It's available pretty much on the market. So you just go out and get it. Okay. Yeah, the only reason I would produce it is if I was just like I was going to put it up down a base that produced a bunch of it and sell it. Yeah, I, I mean, notice that you get eight every three hours. Uh, yeah, with efficiency, that that's you know eight every two hours. You could you could supply the whole Antares sector with which you know which means the people the people that are doing it provide a ton and everybody else just buys. Yep. So that's the first one. The second one is a commodity that I've had to buy a little bit, and I am a I am a pure just CX purchaser, and but it's used for kind of a number of little smaller things, and it upgrades to some other fancy things, and that would be glass. Anybody mm -hmm. have yeah this this is one that shows up in a number of layers of solutions. Obviously, the glass ship ends up using and things like that. It. Yeah. Uh, it shows up in a number of BFAB type production or fab production in both BTAs and LTAs. Um, I so far have found that I can get enough of it off of the market to sustain my fairly limited needs. But does anybody have an alternative opinion on it? This one for, I think me, or maybe us is a produce. This is okay. something, this is something where you, you try you find somebody and you rope them into making a glass planet and they are, just have a whole planet for glass furnaces. 
And what do you end up using? So it's it's an item and other things. Where do those other things go? Um, so the tubs are great because they're easy and cheap. So someone start distributing the 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 uh, what are they test tubes out for all of the um, governors. But the uh, it ends up going to the nano glass for uh, um, ATAs and reinforced glass for. Uh, RFABs or something? Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. Yeah, there are, there are RTAs can be made with them. Yeah. So, so, so you notice all that stuff's happening in in the glass furnace building. So you're cycling, you're cycling the stuff through the building uh, multiple times, and that helps you justify building just big piles of now, glass furnaces. Now it sounds like this is a partnership thing where you get somebody to do this and you just buy off their, you just buy their supply. Yeah. Uh, you guys talk and I'll chat and see how many glass furnaces we have in Corp. If, if there's more than one person doing this. But it is something you have access to whenever you need within your own Corp. Yeah, yeah. So this, this sounds like a purchase through a partnership type deal. Makes sense? Yep. Yeah, and then you have other random things that you need to produce, like uh, in lower quantities, like BTAs, LDAs, solar, um, solar panels for uh, corp up or headquarters upgrades. And yeah. those just are so much low, lower volume that if you're already producing those for the higher stuff, higher volume stuff. So it looks like we've got 15 glass furnaces spread among four people. Interesting. And then everybody else just buys from them. Okay. So that yep. sounds yep. like a, you just put it in your corporate chain and made it part of the, part of the thing you do. Yeah, and that's distributed enough that you don't need to worry about, you know, somebody disappearing and you're not having glass anymore. All right, so getting into the consumable space for the next one, and this is an out. This is a product that MFKs are actually used to make, and that would be exoskeleton worksuits. Any any take on these? From whose perspective? Well, yeah, no, I just think... is this something that you is this something from your own perspective? Is this something you see yourself partnering to get? Or is it something you just purchase off the market? Is this yeah. something you make? Uh, as a consumable, that is one of the ones that I am dedicated to always purchasing. Uh, I think I think all of the clothing items, um, a little bit goes a long way. So it, it's great when someone out there is dedicating themselves to making it, but uh, usually um, I think it's it's worth it to just buy them. And so you does you you are interested in providing a lot of the consumable bases. So, is this one of the things you would add to your little pile, or is this just something that's not worth the trouble? This you know, is something yeah. I already produce and sell to Archeo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so you're already. I'm you on the are, side. So does wants to do the you wants to do it all. Yeah. So yeah. this is so y'all legitimately have the he produces you partner with him to get it kind of relationship already going. Yep. Yep. Perfect. That's that. That is exactly the kind of cool question that I'd, I'd hope to see some of those in, in the group. And so, and uh, I will say that this is one of those items that are, a, you know, a little bit goes a long way. So, it's a small portion yeah. of one base that makes this that produces a lot for a lot of planets. Yeah, I mean, if you have a planet dedicated to agricultural products and food processors, you know, you're making rations for a couple planets. If you have a planet dedicated to making overalls or exoskeletons. You're covering a lot of planets worth of people. 
And in given the fact that you're already buying the MFKs, it's really just aluminum and you're just essentially upgrading the basic material. The BMP does the same thing already. So it's it's not, I, I could totally see how that would sort of fit into a, if you're already making overalls, this is sort of a natural upgrade. Yeah, exactly. And, and I just have a stack of BMPs that are producing a lot of the tier, tier two consumables because a lot of them go through the BMP. Okay. Uh, power tools, overalls, uh, PWO, XO, repair kits, all go through the BMP. All right, so we'll do the fourth one. And this is one that our guest actually has a direct involvement in, given what he's already said. Uh, titanium. That big, heavy material that's got to be produced from an underlying material of titanium ore. So where does this fit in your producer purchase chain? Oh, for me, that, that you know, it's got to be a produce item. Unless you're in the situation where you're only using a small amount of it for you know, something small like power tools or, uh, or whatever, you know, really one off. If you're making anything big, you're probably going to want to be, have a smelter base dedicated to it. So you get your titanium ore from some planet, you don't have to mention it. And do you do an in situ type of production or do you, cause it's, this is one of those ones that's kind of weird because you don't get a huge decrease in, in size. Yeah. So. Well, well, I'll tell you how my chain works. It is the laziest thing ever. I plopped down a demo space, maxed out the number of SMEs I could have in it, and periodically someone just shows up with a, a thousand titanium, and I just run it, and none of it, I don't move ore, I don't move materials, I sell it all to one guy, and he turns it into ship parts. Okay, so, so you produce the titanium, but you purchase the underlying ore. Yep, I purchased the ore, I purchased the carbon, okay. I purchased the oxygen, all on demos. I don't, I don't, I oh, you, rarely. So you land don't at the planet. So that's a. So you don't even, you don't even produce because those can be done on planet. You could do both carbon and oxygen on planet for smelting. And you just don't. Yep, even think I don't. Don't even think about it. Because then you don't. You only need one building type on you. Yeah, I actually, I, I actually have the high power blast furnaces there too for alloys because I make AST, but. Uh, Essentially, yes, it's just titanium, aluminum, AST in whatever mix feels right for the day. And uh, the stuff just kind of shows up. Yeah, I, I am actually into smelting on demos too, but I've gone with actually producing moon carbon and oxygen. So I might have a good conversation with you later about just making demos because I've thought about demos, just smelters and not going into the other products and I could make a smaller base. But then it becomes how do I supply the carbon and oxygen in a stable rate? So it'd be interesting having a conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing is, if you're if you're getting serious about shipbuilding, you'll probably end up with, you know, we we have uh, eighteen bases on Demos, and a lot of them are just SMEs. Like people just put down the SMEs, and they're essentially corp assets almost in the way that they're functionally used. Okay. And I would say that's one of the things I've noticed is that for things like this, it's kind of a, a cooperative corp thing. It would be very hard, I think, I would guess, to do this if you built the entire stack yourself, shipping around all that ore and managing all the logistics of that would be a pain. And it's just so easy to run a base that's only extractors or only SMEs or you know something yep. like that. Hand it off to somebody else. 
So now we're switching to part two, which I don't have a good, you know, I've, I've, I've gone with this whole, you know, sticking with the P thing up to this point, but I have no clue for this one. It's more of an idea. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list three buildings that have specific purposes and then talk about where this fits in to your chain of these things. Maybe you don't even care about the building because you're just not involved in the product. Maybe somebody in your court basically just has it. And very similar to what you talked about with the, these big smelting bases. So we'll start with the first one, which I specifically picked because Des is such a consumables guy. And it is part of the consumables chain if you want to go there. And that is the fermenter building. And, and the reason I ask about buildings is because you're committing to putting a building on a planet. It's one of those, well, you're going to have to have workers, you're going to have to feed them, you have to pay them. Are you going to get enough value out of it? So that's really kind of where I'm going with this. But I was just curious where, and I'll start with Des because you're specifically in the consumables business. Yep. Do you see yourself as a builder of a, a fermenter? Do you have it today? Like, like where does that fit into your picture? I do not have it today. Um, and this is, I make every tier one and tier two consumable except for kombucha, which requires a fermenter. Yep. And I don't, It. this is the one of the biggest pains that I don't have one of these um, because it, it just, I don't, it, I haven't felt the need to do it. There's enough of it available that I can't really justify putting an entire base down with, um, with fermenters. And then the inputs to it are annoyingly hard to come by. Um, and that would be an entire logistics problem of its in and of itself of putting all of the getting all the inputs to actually produce some of the stuff coming out the other side and so it feels like to me the reason i haven't gone into this is because it feels like i need to build an entire tree underneath it to really support it at scale or i can just mooch off of other people to do it um, and go into other consumables in the meantime yeah, I'd say I'd say I'm in a similar position. I probably should have fermenters because I run orchards, uh, which there are very few of them, you know, universe wide. Really, I think there's not a lot of orchards, but uh, it's just yeah, it's a complicated enough chain that I've been focusing on on the food stuff rather than the drinks. And I partner with uh, other people in the corp. Uh, Tux, our friend that we mentioned earlier. Uh, is very fermenter focused and I sell him my hop and I've got another partner in corp who does the vit stage. So I make the pine berries, he makes the vit, sells me the vit and I make the VG. Uh, and that's part of the fluorine empire, which is my other uh, niche item. So I happen what? to know that, that under no circumstances would CPAIR get involved in anything this complicated to make. So I just want to give him a chance and I'll let you go back to this. But do you what? see yourself? Yeah, you you just you don't make this kind of stuff. Like it, it requires complicated inputs, and that's not your that's not your game. What? I I literally run a corporation, which our entire focus is of shipbuilding, which is the most complex thing in the entire game. But do you, but do you have a single just side? Do you have a single base that does anything complicated? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that whoa, whoa, back up, nails bells. Okay, hold, hold, hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the cellular device. Um, it, it's just because 
at like because you told me lex that we have a straight you told i there was a wise man on a podcast one time that told me that we have a strained logistical capacity and i was like damn that's that's so smart like that's just a really really smart thought and so i decided that i was going to build simple things on simple bases but i mean and to be honest you've made tons of money doing that and it's worked out well it has and i think the big thing is right now is i i am nearing towards like so you guys as uh you know we might get into corporate comms next week um and give you guys an update. But I think the big thing is right now is we're working, we're working heavily and, you know, we've had lots of good chats and it's, it's funny. It's funny. Cause I, and I hope uh, you don't feel this way, Lex. And I know, I know perfectly well you don't, but it's just funny. Like how, um, how blunt I can seem when, when texting people, like when sending texts to people, how, like I'll say a statement and like, I'll type it out and I'll just be like, damn, like, just, I hope they feel and know that I'm like smiling on the end or other end of this text that I'm about to send to this person. Because me and Lex have these private conversations in our DMs, and like I'll send Lex some things, and I'll be like, "Okay, like I gotta put a smiley face or something because this is gonna sound really terrible otherwise." Um, and I've been told that before that like I do I do say very blunt statements out loud, but I do that in a very like I'm usually smiling when I say it, so it sounds like I'm smiling. Anyway, off topic. Uh. What I'm going to say, yeah, sorry, sorry. what oh, I was going to say is, well, we're working towards fabs, right? We're working towards fabs and like, you know, you got a fab production down in Antar space. Compound has got a fab production down in or up in Moria space. So we're getting that stuff. We're getting a little bit more complex, but even that alone, it's actually fairly simple, weirdly enough. And I would say consumables is also going to be very simple. Um, it, it is when we get into the ship production that things are going to get a lot more complex and definitely I'll... I do feel like at least probably five to 10 of my bases will be dedicated to ship production, which it's going to get just absolutely insanely complex. Um, well, this this but, actually makes a good transition, if you don't mind. Um, because the next one building I was going to ask is about PP1s versus well, I, PP2s. Oh. And, and this is an interesting building because this is the most annoying thing about being a fab producer I've dealt with so far. Three of the four manufacturing recipes are so much better on a PP2 with one specific exception, BDs, which are much more efficient price-wise being made at a PP1 plant. So is this something that any BFAB producer should put in more? I mean, is this a building you want to build? And if you do so, do you do it for any other reason than BDs? I'm not a fab producer, but I'll speak up and say that, like, if you had the choice between a PP1 or a PP2, you should go for PP2. I mean, yes, you're going to get a little bit more inefficiency there, but you can go into LFABs really quickly, right? LFABs are right there, right then and there. And I mean, if you're in a scenario where it's like, okay, I have my PP2, PP3, and PP4s all in one planet, like on a horizontal base of sorts, and space is a commodity which is in rare supply you just don't have the time or patience to be setting up pp1s right i think it's funny that would be actually a very and you know lex being the uh statistician you are it'd be very interesting to do kind of a cost benefit analysis to understand sort of the math because you already said that bdes are sort you know of that a... that has nothing to do with statistics at all do you realize that <laughs> just no like, but like numbers I, I, just, I just joke. The reason I joke is that if I tell people I'm a statistician, 
like some people will think that like I keep I like do the basketball scores in a game or something like there's there's a complete misunderstanding <laughs> of like what the job actually entails. Yeah, no, yes, I I, but I but I am a numbers guy. So so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the following. Maybe this is because I think in most ways a PP two is more efficient. I, I really do believe that it is. But, yeah, but the I, BDEs I, are two and a half times as expensive if you do them at a PP two than a PP one. The price is. PG is five times as expensive and requires half as much material. I think I've seen people split. Like they have BDE only bases, BDE only buildings. Yeah. I, but, but the but the big thing there is, you know, nobody wants to haul the aluminum or no one wants to haul the iron when they could deal work with aluminum instead. Yep. Plus it's it's more efficient on time. It uses simpler materials. It's it, you get more for the same amount of time. You like there's just a number of, of advantages to the PP2, but the PP1 specifically, it has that question around the BDs. Do you or not the BDs? The yes, those are the BDs. That's that's the one weird one that sort of throws off that chain. Well, and this is this is the if it was just a little bit, it would be one thing. You would just be like uh, flexibility of production in this game is very valuable. So there's there's a certain amount of just being able to change what you produce and having the on average more efficient building is probably worth it. But two and a half times is a lot big difference. That's a big difference. Yeah, because the price of PG is about five times as high last time I checked, but it uses half as much. So it's a substantial cost increase to make it PG is super expensive right now. Yeah. And and so I've I've asked myself this question because BDE production is sort of this weird one-off, and it, it sounds like your corporation has addressed the problem by some, you just have PP1s that make BDs, and you just take the cost. All right, and uh, the last one here, and I apologize for cutting you off earlier, Asi Pair. It just seemed like such a nice transition what? question. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, so, but it was like, hey, he's talking fabs. That was my next one. <laughs> uh, so an interesting one that, um, the, the reason I asked this one is because this whole UTS mess I got in this week. Uh, FS, Metalist Studio, very much a specialist building, makes a few very specific kinds of things, uh, but it's there. Does anybody see themselves, like, anybody see themselves going with this building? I have a whole pile of them uh, just making the MHLs. So that, that, that's an oddity, though. Uh, in the, this is one of those things where my answer well, that's for the welding flat. Uh, my bad. Yeah, I take that back. I don't have any of those FSs. Yeah, I was like, uh, the this is my answer to almost every of these, every one of these specialist buildings is that you just don't do it unless you you are going to be the supplier for the entire region for it, because it's just not worth it. Under what conditions would it be worth it? It would be worth it if I just cannot find a a, a, a supply that matches my need. And we've talked about the fact that a lot of these are quite thin, so. It, it it's a here's the advantage of base right it's just it's 50 settlers it's not hard to make not particularly hard to support makes a lot of just specialist stuff yep not, none of it amazing at least nothing jumps out to me as boy this is the most amazing thing ever but a lot of things that you might just need so it, oh is it man I was just going to say, I'm looking at this list going, yeah, I, I could use a few of these things and just yeah. one of them would probably produce everything I need. Yeah. That's, that's what's interesting is like just a bunch of just little useful things that show up in other recipes that you might need to have. This building produces those things. 
Otherwise, you got to find it in the market, and the market doesn't always have a reliable supply. Uh, this this is the gold one. This is the one that I use to refine gold. Um, and 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 the oddity there is that you know, click on those, click on BGO or RGO. That stuff is twenty tons per unit. It's mm. so so the the utility of this building is uh, put it somewhere where you've got your gold and you don't want to ship your gold. And what do you, so you turn RGOs at the same FS. Sorry, good. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I make the RGOs and I turn the RGOs into HCC and then I ship the HCC out. Oh yeah. Wow. That's a big weight difference. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Explain wow. how you can go from 20 tons plus 300 PEs to like the smallest thing, the amount of waste product that would be sitting like you'd have to hire yeah, like a whole you're, company you're throwing just... away 99 percent of the gold <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. maybe maybe the gold is just really like it's packaged you know really a lot of clamshell packaging yeah i guess so so uh those are that's my uh, section for the night and i appreciate you all playing along so awesome well thank you very much lex as always save the best for last of course it's always i I enjoy these sections just because, you know, I know that Lex puts in a lot of time and effort and in research into these uh, various sections and it just, uh, yeah, makes me think. And that's, that's why I enjoy them so much. Makes me think. Um, so that will end our podcast for the evening. Uh, thank you so much. This is episode 10, guys. We have been doing this for 10 weeks. Isn't that insane? Like just mind-blowing um so thank you very much Archiel, for coming on the podcast and having just a fantastic discussion about the just what you know last week was kind of a themed podcast about learnings but this week has just been as variety as it gets so i appreciate you coming on and thank you very much yeah thank you everyone yeah no, it's been an absolute blast uh so you can catch us at the uh, pair talks prun podcast discord i will this time, for sure, make sure to leave a link in the description so you guys could uh, jump on there. Uh, we will also, if you are interested in being sort of one of the first few members of our community of the Esoteric uh, Gaming Podcast and the future of that and what that looks like, uh, I will also post a link to the Discord in that as well. And you can find out more information as we... Uh, as time comes, just to let everybody know, because I didn't mention at the very beginning of this podcast, we will be doing one more podcast next week. And I can't make any promises, but there might be a very, very, very special guest on next week that I have been in constant communication with for a while now to hopefully get him on the podcast. So uh, stay tuned for that. But other than that, you guys have yourselves a fantastic, well, I guess I was going to say fantastic evening, but I mean, they're not really, like, they could be listening to this in the morning. I don't know. Anywho, thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next time. <laughs>